this is Genoa. And this is Yusuf. And this is Entertainment. Yes. All right. So uh, we give you uh, a, a, a switch up. Uh, okay. So last week we gave you Amazon Prime. We, we stand with the Amazon Prime uh, movies. I mean, we're not being sponsored by them. We wish we were, but you know, we just watching their movies on the streaming system uh, service. So we're good. Um, and this week we are reviewing the 2022 film The Outfit. Yes. So it's directed by Graham Moore. Um, and it is about an expert cutter must outwit a dangerous group of monsters in order to survive a fateful night. Okay, so so what do you think about what do you think about that synopsis? Would you give that one? I mean, a- yes, the synopsis is perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, like if you watch trailers for this movie, uh, the trailer also gets directly to that synopsis. So. You know, I I suggested this movie because when I'm too brain dead to watch anything, I will just go watch movie trailers. (laughs) And earlier this year, this trailer came out. I was like, oh, yes, I'm adding this to the list of movies that I want to see. And I'm glad I did. Uh, Yeah. And uh, yeah, we're being a general kind of texting about, oh, what's the next movie? What's the movie? Next movie? And you know, the outfit? I was like, I haven't seen it. Like, it, I'm, I'm always like down. Like the movie I haven't seen. Like, okay, cool. I, I'll watch it. And, uh, yeah. And right. This also has Dylan O'Brien, and it just, I like him. I just, I keep watching all of his movies because I want to get, I want him to get more work. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you keep being in, you know, quality films, like, I mean, he, he's on his way. And we can't like, you know, like, like we cannot. Well, I personally cannot praise Mark Rylance enough. I mean, this man. Uh, there's a reason. There's a reason why he's an Oscar winner. Right? Let's just say, and and a Tony winner and a Olivier winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all of that. Yeah, I mean, he's so. Good. Okay, he's so good. So, like, he's one of those actors, again, a chameleon actor, you know, like, he can give you drama, and he could just go completely left and do something, just something wild and off-kilter, uh, like, um, and don't, he was in Don't Look Up, he was like the, he was like the Steve Jobs, like, figure, and Don't Look Up, the tech mobile guy that was a little weird it's like that yeah i, I respect him so much because like he don't care do like playing someone weird and like out of out of his mind a little bit um, right, yeah yeah so yeah he's great he's great <laughs> but like he he's he's mostly known for his shakespeare work because he was the the artistic director of the globe which is a theater in London that does all of the um, Shakespeare's plays. Um, he was he was the artistic director there, I think, for like ten years or something. Wow. Um, I think he he left in oh from nineteen ninety five to two thousand five. Um, he was the creative director 
or artistic director at the at the Globe in London, uh, and he like really did get his start doing Shakespeare. Um, I think that's where he won some of his early Tony awards um, or both of his Tony awards was doing Shakespeare. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a fucking amazing actor and mm-hmm. he, he is the main character in this, in this film. His character's name is Leonard. He's a cutter, but to Americans, are un- uncultured folks, we might call him a tailor. And he has a whole like monologue about the difference between a tailor and a cutter, which was hilarious. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so this movie really starts out with, we, we get to meet um, Mark's character mm-hmm. and Leonard, and he's talking about what it's like to be a cutter, how you, design a suit and how you cut it and and really that it really when you're designing a suit for the person you're really tapping into their underlying personality trait and while we're hearing all of this like story about creating a suit for someone we're also getting to see the ins and outs of what happens in his shop mm-hmm. and there's a box where people drop off notes or payments to one of the gangs that is active in Chicago in 1956. Oh, yeah. This is, a- this is after the, well, way after the Capone era. So I'm sure there was like a, uh, a power vacuum that went on for a long time. I guess yep. it, was, it was hinted. Well, it wasn't hinted. It was like that's kind of what was going on in. In this particular story, you know, you hear of like a couple of warring organizations and things of that nature trying to like get control of Chicago. Uh, and yeah, and and Mark Riley's character is just kind of, you know, in his profession. It's like there's nothing he can do about, you know, these strong armed people of the city just kind of, you know, using his shop. To do what they do, what they want to do, as far as communicating with other uh, big shots and stuff like that, you know, he just he just he just keep the integrity of his shop where it needs to be, and he looks the other way, and he don't want to be involved, he don't want to hear anything, he don't want anything passed to him. <laughs> he just want to do his job as a cutter. Yes, and he has a a secretary that's played by uh, Zoe. Deutsch. Yeah, what was she? Is she? She looks so familiar. She does look very familiar. Uh, and I didn't go to dive into her history. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, she was in Zombieland. Double Tap. All right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yes. All right. Now, now, now I see it. Okay. Some of these like. Um, Festival or award show shots? You kind of look like Lawrence Pugh with long hair. Yeah. A little bit. But anyway. <laughs> uh, and she was in a movie called Vampire Academy back in 2014, which now there is a TV series called Vampire Academy based on a book, se- uh, young adult book series. The, the book series is pretty entertaining. I don't, the movie is not that great. And the TV series is really confusing me just as a 
sidebar. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. So books good. Movie nay. Show question mark. The jury's still out. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, yeah. So okay. So this is the fifties, right? And this is like the birth of, I guess, uh, tape surveillance and things of that nature. Yep. The mm-hmm. FBI has new technologies, and that includes uh, getting bugs into where monsters might be having conversations. And so the FBI has infiltrated some location in Chicago that this specific gang likes to have meetings or conversations. And so one of their contacts of the FBI has given them the tape. And now they need to get it to their boss to find out who the rat is. And that's where all of the fun begins to happen because uh, the two gangsters played by Dylan O'Brien and Johnny Flynn, Richie and Francis, Mm -hmm. um, come rushing into the store, the cutter store. And um, Richie has been shot because Mm -hmm. they they had a shootout with a rival gang, uh, the La Fontaines which is a black gang, a French black gang in Chicago, which I don't know if that was a real thing or not, but it was fucking fantastic. Yeah, bravo. I, I saw, I'm like, okay, life I take it. Like, hey, that's French. I thought it was going to be like some like Sasha Baron coming in or something like that. <laughs> French, talking French. But yeah, but to see those black people coming, I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I'm with this. And- and and the La Fontaines are, are run by a woman uh, played by Nikki Amuka Bird, and she was fantastic. I was like, "You're right. I do not want to get on the bad side of you, woman." No, no. <laughs> it's like get that woman the keys to the city where she wants. Yeah, and so this sparks up, you know, and the the, the story cleverly and brilliantly through dialogue, through conversations, set up relationships that you don't see because the movie takes place in one location, like in the shop. um, And we don't see, there's maybe two exterior shots that give you like the establishing shot of how the, the place looks outside. That's it. Everything else is interior, inside, you know, that's why all the action is happening. You you hear people you hear a door open, close, and you see a character walking in. That's it. That's all you get throughout this whole movie. And which which is a tall order for you know a writer to try to write a you know like compelling characters, compelling situations where you're not really seeing you know relationships outside the main character. You're just going by conversations with the main character of oh okay. Through this conversation, we know that Richie and his father, you know, kind of, you know, at odds somewhat. Oh, and we hear that Francis, you know, is kind of is is like the favorite unofficial like son of Richie's dad because he the one that kind of stepped up and you know when well, he he saved Richie's dad right uh, because it took me a while to understand that. He kept saying, I took six marbles in the stomach for your dad. I was like, what the fuck are marbles? And oh, yeah. they're bullets. bullets. 
I'm thinking like shotgun bullets, right? Because those are like the buckshots, if I'm not mistaken, right? So they like marbles almost. Okay. I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, we said marbles. Okay, maybe it was like a shot, like shotgun that took us, I don't know. Anyway, shrapnels. But yeah, yeah, he got shot pretty much <laughs> for his dad. Uh, uh, yeah, so, so now we have this kind of tension between Richie and Francis now. So now we know, like, oh shit, like something ain't right with the family that's been coming in and out <laughs> of Leonard's shop. Yep. And so uh, Francis and um, Billy or Richie, um, Richie's been shot and they they tell Leonard, you know, you need to to sell them all up and Francis is going to run out and try to find a way that they can uh, get out of there so that the LaFontaines don't come in. And the reason why they need to really get out is because they have to take this tape to Richie's dad to find out who the rat is. And so Leonard starts playing Richie and Francis off of each other because they keep separating or being apart from each other, different rooms. And, you know, Richie thinks he's super smart, but he's, he's just really a dumb gangster, mm-hmm. uh, dumb jock type of character. <laughs> and he does it. He thinks he knows also when Leonard t- spins him a story. Well, you know, I'm the rat. He's like, ha ha ha. Leonard, you could never be the rat. You're just a tailor. (laughs) Yeah. And so then when Francis comes in, Leonard's like, dude, I think Richie took the the tape because he knows something about who's on there. He doesn't want you to find out about it. And he wants to be viewed as like the person that's saving the day for his dad so that you, Francis, are no longer dad's number one guy. Mm -hmm. They start playing each other off each other. So they start not trusting each other, which then leads to uh, Richie being murdered by Francis. Right. Yeah, which kind of escalates stuff even more. Uh, and to complicate things even more, uh, Mabel, uh, well, yeah, Mabel and Richie, you know, they're fooling around and everyone kind of knew this. So now Francis is suspecting Mabel to be the rat with the tape or knows what the tape is. Well, first he goes, the dad finally shows up uh, and Richie's Richie's body has been hid in the trunk. But Francis runs out to get Mabel because Mabel must know where Richie is because Francis has convinced Richie's dad that that Richie has run out. um, And the only person that will know who where he is is his girlfriend. So that's how Mabel gets pulled into this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Francis has convinced Richie's dad that she's probably the one that can tell you where Richie is and is hiding something. So not necessarily the rat just yet, but yeah, bad right. things happen. Right. Like, well, she knows because she, you know, you know, she was honeyed up with Richie. So, you know, she got to know something kind of thing. Yeah, and, and also this group does an amazing job of, you know, just setting up people around Leonard to possibly be, you know, either associated with and or the rat. 
Um, so it's a cool, like, guessing game, you know, throughout the movie. Um, and also, you know, with Mark being vulnerable and trying to sway the situation in his favor or trying to patrol the situation to where it can be in his favor as a favorable outcome at all of this because things are just kind of going crazy. Um, you know, at the same time, playing a lot of stuff close to his chest, you know, it with him and the audience. It's cause it's like, it, uh, Mark Rylance, like he have a, a amazing ability to be a very like convincing character, um, you know. But you you believe him, but then again, it's always something to back your mind. Like I don't know, he I don't know, like he could be he could be he could be holding he could be hiding something too. I don't know. I don't know if he's genuine, but I believe I him. At, at the <laughs> beginning, when he said, "Oh, well, I'm the rat," I was like, "Yeah." I totally believe that you're the rat. I'm <laughs> on board with this. Like, uh, like yeah, but as the, as the story progressed, though, I mean, how he was kind of talking to Francis' dad and, you know, I mean, uh, Richie's dad, you know, Francis, it was just like, oh, okay, well, he, he pivoted this suspicion over to maybe um, uh, who's a, who's a, who's a not not Mabel, but it was another one they were they were saying. Anyway, so it was like, yeah, so he was pretty much making it to where he was deflecting, you know, all that stuff to make it point at somebody else type thing. Um, yeah, and honestly, I thought Mabel like because it was kind of stuff like, oh well, maybe it's Mabel. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't catch who the rat was until they revealed it. I was really disappointed in myself. I'm going to blame the insomnia on that one. Uh, and not necessarily that I wasn't just that smart uh, or the movie was smarter than me. Um, but yes, they revealed it. I was like, shit, that, that was so fucking obvious. How did I miss that? Yeah. Well, Hey, it was still clever, clever writing, you know. And uh, before we before we got on to record this episode, me and General was talking about, um, you know, how, you know, how movies, you know, well, movies that's worth like looking at and really paying attention to, like these smaller films, you know, just to, you know, just to keep budget tight, figure out a way to tell a good story in, you know, confined spaces or like not a lot of locations or things like that. And yeah, this, yeah. And this, this movie was one of those films that very like too, but too physical. Like, Cause it was like the, it was the entrance and then it was a hallway and then and it was the, the, and, the, and the back, the back room, the back, and the back room. Pretty much that was it. <laughs> it was like yeah. only three cutaways in like, a location that was still within yeah. the, the Taylor show. Yeah. I mean, the, so the director was also the writer. Um, his name is Graham Moore. This is actually like his first big film that he's directed, but he has written a few other things. Uh, he wrote the imitation game, which yeah. was a Oscar nominated film. Um, that was a Cumberbatch one, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, about code breakers during World War II, about 
uh, Alan Turing, um, that he helped break the Enigma code during World War II, uh, ultimately ended up going to jail for being homosexual, but that's a whole other movie. Um, So I feel like because he was like, the scenes in the film are definitely done. You can tell that a writer wrote this right. and worked on this, that it wasn't like a Michael Bay movie that feels <laughs> like it's a director's film, not a writer's film. Right. And this is, this is a writer's film. Totally agree. A hundred percent. I mean, if I, if I was to teach a, a screenwriting class, this would, this would be one of the movies I would show. I mean, yeah. yeah like, okay. Like, all right, you you can, you can write big extravagant scenes, but can you write a a very small but compelling and interesting story? Right. And and the way he wrote all the scenes is you you feel that there's action happening, not just because of the tension of the characters, but also because he's talking about, well, there's a shootout. And so they come running in and there's like someone's been shot or the La Fontaines are after us. And you feel this tension between the characters getting stressed about what's happening out on the street. Mm-hmm. And so like he builds all of that action through the tension between the characters that are in this one room where they're talking and it's just, it's so nicely done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you and I were also talking about whether or not this was a play first, but it wasn't, this has only been a movie But it is written in such a way that would be, I would love to see this live because then you get the, not only the tension between the characters, but you feel it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that you miss when you're just watching a film is that you don't feel that energy coming off the actors. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it could, this could be a perfect play. I mean, they don't have to change anything. Literally. Yeah. The stage would just be the show. (laughs) That's it. That's all. People going in, coming out, going in, coming out. Stage left, stage right. That's it. There, there you go. There's your play. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that, this would be an awesome play. And, you know, and good luck to anyone that's tasked to do Leonard because, like I said, you know, Mark Rylas is, I mean, those are big shoes to fill. But if they do a play, I'm sure they'll find someone, you know. <laughs> well, who's to say he wouldn't come back and, and, do the character for stage because he is he was first a stage actor be- before he became a film actor yeah yeah that's true and maybe they'd be like hey <laughs> between movies don't you want to do a stage version of it's not like you have to remember the lines or anything like that you just still know it all <laughs> yep. yes yes alright so our review our Ratings go. Our rating system uh, goes as follow: ass on couch, slash move flying. Um, it's a great watch. Uh, on in the background, slash turbulence. Um, it's backgrounds, you know, in and out, meh. And crash bird slash go outside. I'd rather go outside and go get on with the life. <laughs> yeah, or. Lick a pole and try to catch monkey park or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's ass on the sofa for me. I mean, the acting, the writing, the like, just it, it is a, 
it feels like an old school movie. Um, it was good. Yeah. It was refreshing. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, that, that's the best word to say. Yes. 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 It was very refreshing. It's very refreshing. It's very inspiring to see filmmakers, you know, and writers and filmmakers like they could still, they could still come out with movies like this. I mean, and it's of course it's not on a grand scale, whatever. It's not in theaters, but because this, this could still get out to the public, like these small, like character driven play type, you know, movies. Uh, yeah. And that, like I said, it's real, that was kind of inspiring. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Like, I thought I'll, movies like this, I don't even get greenlit anymore, let alone released, you know, and it's really cool to see. And I, yeah, I mean, I love to see more of more of thoughts. <laughs> and like you said, hats off to everyone. Great performance. And this director has a great future ahead of him. Um, yeah, I think uh, they need to give him, they do need to throw some, throw, throw some money on him to do something else. Um, big or small, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, he, he's still pretty young. He was, he's, I think he's, just turned 40, so he's, he's a baby. <laughs> Gonna go with 40 is a baby. Yeah, uh, yes. And then, it. but side note, um, this is actually the second time two of these actors have worked together. Dylan O'Brien and Zoe Deutsch were actually in another film that came out this year, um, a Hulu original called Not Okay. And, you know, if you just need some mind candy, it's kind of funny. Okay. Go check it out. <laughs> Dylan O'Brien plays like this total douchebag uh, with like blonde hair. And it's just ridiculous. It's, it's a funny movie. Go check it out. Okay. <laughs> All right. So yeah, we have sidebar suggestions. Uh, not, what, not okay. That's the name of it. Yeah, not, not okay. Not okay. Gotcha. All right. It, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's about like a social media catfish type of thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. In fact, catfishing is not okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So Hulu, check that one out. Amazon Prime, the outfit. We strongly recommend this movie. And and I like I and I definitely like to thank Genoa <clears throat> for throwing this movie up in the air. Like outfit, I'm like, okay, cool. I watched it like, okay. Yes. Like I'm digging it. Uh, and I'll tell the gentleman. So this brought me that took me down the rabbit hole of kind of like the potential like rats in the crew type movies. So <laughs> I watched Reservoir Dogs after that, and I watched uh, The Departed <laughs> after that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it was uh, it got me through the whole Rat in the Crew uh trilogy by different directors, <laughs> right? And and it is a suspense type film yeah. and I think this is we're recording this early but this should be come out like the last week in September when we actually post this mm-hmm. uh, yep last week in September so it's like a nice like wrapping up September before we go into uh, October's screaming with yeah. horror mm-hmm. Halloween month 
Yes, this is this is a perfect kind of palate cleanser. It's like, oh, cool, well constructed, well written, well directed, well acted film. Before we go into all of the crazy oh. screaming, blood, gore, torture porn, all that stuff. So. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, we will catch you guys uh, next week with some more reviews. Until then, what's say, what's say, physical distancing and stay safe. Yes. Yeesh.